street epistemology is a wonderful approach that anyone can learn. You can learn more about street epistemology at streetepistemology.com. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Epistemic, episode number 21. Uh, show title today is Extremists. Uh, got a good episode here for you today. My name is Reed Nicewonder, your host. And I also have some uh, usual co-hosts here, Anthony Magnabosco and uh, Dan, Objectively Dan. What's up, you guys? Hey, Reed. Yo, yo. Hey, hey. Again. Yeah. And we have a special guest today here, Joshua Turner. What's up, Josh? Hey, guys. Great to be here. Thanks for having me. Sure thing. Joshua is a uh, a former neo-Nazi turned secular humanist liberal. Joshua is the president and founder of the nonprofit organization Saved by Reason and attempts to combat white supremacy with critical thinking. That's pretty awesome. Cool. So uh, let's, we just do a quick recap of our weekend. So uh, last weekend, I went to this conference called DragonCon in Atlanta. Just 80,000 people, like, nerds from every type of uh nerdy subculture there's like anime fantasy sci-fi but there's a skeptics track as well so i went to that uh a lot uh had some really great panels there some talks uh it was just a really great time really cool yeah read cos read cosplay to sailor moon you can check that out on his facebook <laughs> <laughs> it's really cool he got the hair down really good i am googling I see, yeah. what that is right now <laughs> I did see this kind of heavy set guy cosplay as Sailor Moon with like a beard, and it was just like, and it didn't like go over his uh, entire uh, chest or like belly area. So it was yes. very funny. That was those fun are the one. best kinds. I love those. <laughs> yeah. The cosplay was the best part of that entire uh, entire thing. There's just I went to Dragon Con a year ago, and it was it was wild. It was like you said, eighty thousand people. It's yeah. There's just a shitload of people. It's crazy. Um, you feel out of place if you're not dressed up in a costume. Yeah. And I kind of I hung around the skeptic track most of the time when I was there. I was giving a, a talk on SE, and then I was just interested in in the discussions that were going on. But there were other present uh, presenters on topics too that that I found interesting. Life on other planets. What's going on on Mars? That type of stuff. Yeah. The uh, science track and space track were very nearby the skeptics track so i was kind yeah. of bouncing back and forth between all those did you go to mandisa thomas's thing because i think she spoke there uh, no i didn't think so okay i think somebody video recorded it I'm, I'm gonna have to check it out my favorite uh panel slash talk was uh um jamie ian swiss interviewed i forgot his name but he was a uh a private investigator who specializes in cases about uh psychic fraud um it was really great uh really good stuff people accountable yeah like getting uh people who have been ripped off from psychics like upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars just getting uh the psychics uh um getting their money back and getting them jail time it's, it's really good mm. my weekend wasn't nearly as exciting it uh, rained here a lot but it gave me time to catch up on some video editing i i, I just finished uploading a video that uh that i recorded last week with uh with a couple on the trail it's pretty it's pretty different than what i normally do 
uh, when I'm using when I'm doing SE. You'll just have to check it out. It should hit at four o'clock central today. Um, and I've been just doing other little projects, uh, not only editing editing videos, but working on something with uh, Rebecca Fox. She has a website called Rebecca on Paper, and she's an amazing artist. And we've been working on this little side project, so I had some time to devote to that. But that's pretty much it. It's pretty much been just kind of um, staying out of the rain and getting little projects done around the house. How about you, Dan? Yeah, so uh, school just started for me last week, so that's really fun. But before I got to get into it too much, I went to Alabama um, to see my girlfriend. Um, we hey. actually met at the Secular Student Alliance convention this year. And we've been talking since then, and um, we decided to make it a trip and go see it work out. And now we're kind of more open about that, which is cool. And um, <clears throat> besides that, I've been working on my new show, which is still happening, I promise. Um, it's been a long time coming, but this next month is going to be the premiere date for the ACA's new show, Truth Wanted, which I will be host of. Um, and I'm actually going to be meeting with some producers this week from the ACA um, to set about the actual dates for next month because I will be premiering alongside some other shows um, with the ACA. We're kind of deciding which ones we're going to do first because we're going to release one, uh, release one each week um, alongside some of the other programs that they already have. So it's going to be really cool um, and keep on the watch for that. So Nice. <clears throat> Sweet. Oh, that's a good idea. Awesome. Well, good. Cool. How about you, Joshua? What did you do this weekend? Uh, this weekend's been pretty mellow. Uh, I actually just moved last week up into the mountains in Northern California because uh, I need to finish my book by, well, the manuscript to the book by January. So um, I moved out here, you know, to be secluded and um, have somewhere peaceful to, to finish the manuscript. So it's actually been nice. My daughter was here this weekend and uh, we just played out in the yard and chased the dogs and, uh, you know, like I said, just pretty mellow weekend, just hung out around the house and didn't do much, but play with my daughter, really. <laughs> Very nice. Awesome. Cool. I was Very listening nice. to some, some podcast episodes uh, that you were a part of, Joshua, uh, just preparing for this. And you mentioned uh, putting your book proposal out. So I, I guess someone uh, someone bought the book and you're, you're writing. You're writing. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Got lucky. What it. is it awesome. like to write a book? Is it a daunting experience? Are you finding it easy, hard, something else? Um, it's it's daunting. It's it, it's intimidating, um, and it's hard going into certain parts of my past that uh, you know I try not to think about too much, you know. But uh, they're vital to my story, so I I really have to think about these things in detail and uh, write them down in detail to really put the reader there. So doing that <clears throat> has been has been rough. Mm -hmm. So uh, I've been seeing, you know, seeing a therapist that I can make sure that, you know, my, my emotions and stuff are, are on track and, you know, mm. uh, do you find uh, you know, interviews I'm, like this actually help you in all, in those regards, like writing the book and any, like the, some of the emotional baggage that comes with your history or um, I'm wondering a if we're bit. helping you or hurting you when we're <laughs> interviewing like this. No, it's not hurting. It's definitely helping. Uh, what helps most is when I get letters from inmates or when I go into jail or prison and talk to inmates. That really helps me because I can see that this is really needed. You know. 
I guess this would probably be a really good time to get your story. So, uh, sure. In a nutshell, yeah. What happened to you? <laughs> what happened? Oh God, where do I start? Um, should I just start at the beginning and you know, yeah, sure. Talk about my, I mean, my childhood and everything because that's kind of where it all started. <laughs> you know, I, I wouldn't have become a skinhead, I don't think, if I wasn't raised in a um, in a conservative Christian home where uh, every you know, politics were very right wing. I grew up hearing Rush Limbaugh in the car as a kid. Um, and I think that yeah, I was, you know, always hearing about how immigration was was, you know, destroying the country and, um, you know, illegal or not just illegal immigrants, but uh, minorities and crime is destroying the country. So, you know, I, I really feel that if it wasn't for for those things at home, I'd, I wouldn't have became a skin a skinhead in prison. So, my mom and dad were Pentecostal Christians, and and they raised us, my brother and I, very strictly. Uh, you know, we couldn't do anything uh, with our friends, like go to the movies, like normal kids do. You know, we had to, if, if it was any kind of media, it had to be Christian media. Mm. So things were super strict and, um, you know, not just strict in a, in a religious sense, but um, I also experienced a lot of physical abuse. My, my stepfather physically abused me. Um, I know, I think he was frustrated with having, you know, to raise uh, a son that wasn't his, honestly, and he took it out on me. So, um, you know, it wasn't just, you know, religious dogma at home because I know a lot of people grow up uh, in strict religious homes and they don't lash out like I did. They don't, <clears throat> they still have really loving parents. Uh, and I, that wasn't the case for me. My, I can't say that I had loving parents. They were uh, just, they were very abusive and I just don't think they were ready for kids. So anyway, um, being raised by them really uh, just made me rebel. I was very defiant. Um, I knew that things weren't right at home. I knew that, uh, you know, being told that Jesus was going to come. I've been, I was being told that since I was five and, uh, the straw that broke the camel's back was Y2K. My parents said, this is it. This is the one, you know, this, the Bible says it in code. We're leaving before the year 2000 comes. It's going to rapture us. And on January 1st of Jan of the year 2000, I, I said, man, that's it, man. I'm, I'm, this, this has, this is fake. You know, I've, I've been hearing this my whole life. So, um, I just, I started rebelling big time. Uh, started hanging out with people in the trailer park, uh, that were doing drugs. And a lot of these guys had swastika flags and, uh, like, uh, the rebel flags. So I started kind of sort of getting indoctrinated, um, with racist ideas from these guys and eventually started going to juvenile hall where there was, skinhead members and I wasn't a skinhead then, but you know, I would hang out with them because I was white and I would hear the things that they would talk about. And, uh, when I was 18, when I was 18 years old, I carjacked a Jewish woman trying to impress some of these skinheads. Uh, I hadn't slept for about a week. I was on methamphetamine and I got arrested and went to prison for five years. And this is where I met real skinheads, real, members of organizations, political organizations, fascist organizations, real, you know, skinheads. So, um, I, uh, you know, I, I just was lost. I didn't have a father to look up to and I was looking for meaning in my life. And I felt like this was really comfortable to me because it was familiar. A lot of these guys were Christians. There was a, a Christian identity, a specific sect of uh, Christianity called Christian identity. And a lot of them were, were Christians. 
So yeah, it just felt very familiar to me um, in prison. You have basically as a white, everything in prison now since the 60s has, has been run by race in California. So if you're white, you run with the whites. If you're black, you run with the blacks. So if you're white, um, there's kind of a, there's subsections of being white and there's woods and then there's skins and skinheads obviously are the skinheads that we know that, you know, are, they have the 14 words or neo-Nazis and then woods. There's a, a, a larger range of woods there. They can be anything from a non-affiliated white person. So just say an average guy that's white, that gets locked up for a typical crime or whatever goes, goes to prison. He, he would be a wood or a biker with uh, uh, what's, like a sons of anarchy type guy, you know what I mean? Like those kind of guys, those are woods Hell's too. Angels, yeah. Hell's angels. Yeah. That's, that's, that's escaped mm. me, but yes, that was the name I was looking for. So, so woods is, is, is a huge range. Sorry, I'm pausing. Cause I, I felt like there was a question coming. <laughs> Maybe not. Um, I was wondering what you said it real quick, but um, you, you were really worried about Y2K January 1st comes and then you started rebelling I would think that. Oh, well, against against Christianity, I re that's when I really started rebelling against Christianity. Because it didn't come true. Yeah. Because you didn't get raptured. Is that it? Yeah. At least okay. my parent, my parents' version of Christianity. They they were really they were literalists. You know, they were Pentecostals. So I knew I, I hadn't given up on Christ at that time, but I just I knew that that the, their their perception or their interpretation of the Bible wasn't correct. What did they? So, how did they justify it when they woke up that morning and everything was the same? Um, I remember, I remember my stepdad telling me that it really, you know, that there was a mistake and it really meant 2002. So he was looking forward to 2002, and I honestly, uh, by then, just I don't remember what his excuses were because I wasn't at home a lot. I was 18 then, <clears throat> so I wasn't at home, but. Uh, we talk. I, I've talked about it with them, uh, with them now within the last few years, and he he still thinks he's coming. He just, you know, last last time I talked to him, I think it was the May sixteenth, twenty twenty fifteen date. So I don't know. It's just every uh, every year, it's another time. It's yeah. another date that Jesus. A prediction is that can never fail. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. Wow. So yeah. So. Um, ended up in prison with these with these real skinheads, and uh, you know, I I told them that I was a skinhead on the streets. I knew enough about skinheads. You know, I knew the fourteen words, which are we must secure the existence of our people and a future for white children, and that's pretty much like the the motto that skinheads live by. So I did they did they able, ever say that you were not a true skinhead? Did you get the no true uh, no true skinhead fallacy? I well, I did kind of because. There, there's organized skinheads. There's, there's like groups like Hammer Skins and Aryan Front, and there's different groups of skinheads. And if you don't belong to one of these groups, you're considered an independent skinhead. And a lot of independent skinheads are kind of frowned on, like you know, you guys aren't the real deal because you don't belong to an organization. So at this point in time, I was an independent skinhead, and I ended up moving in with a, a skinhead with one arm. His name was Tear, which was the one arm god of justice. And he was a recruiting officer for one of these gangs called Area Prospecting for Aryan Front. And to, to be able to join Aryan Front, I had to put in work to, to prove that I was a soldier, to prove you know my loyalty to the gang. Mm -hmm. So I ended up having to, to commit crimes. 
I did a 14 month shoe term for an attempted murder. And, um, you know, I did a lot of things that I'm definitely not proud of that, you know, those are the things that I have to write about that, uh, that are haunting, you know, but, um, damn. So, yeah. Okay. Well, so I guess we're all kind of dying to know, like, how did you, how did you get out of it? How did you turn things around? Um, well, I, so I paroled from prison in 2007 and had this goal of trading in my boots for suits and being like this, you know, a real clean cut skinhead that's, you know, that could start a real movement that could go somewhere in America. But my drug addiction got the best of me and um, I ended up going to rehab and realizing, you know, I, I needed to, to dig a little deeper into my life and in, into my beliefs and find something else because what I was doing wasn't working. So I, I actually, you know, tried religion again. I went to a Christian rehab and uh, tried, you know, committing my life back to Christ. And it just it didn't feel authentic. Um, so I, I started reading other, diff, you know, other, about other religion and I came, I had a, a friend who was really liberal and he was an atheist and he recommended the God delusion by Rick, Richard Dawkins. So I'd, I'd never heard of Richard Dawkins. I'd never heard of the new atheists at, at this time it was about 2009 or 10, <clears throat> which was well into the new, new atheist movement. And it was, I had never heard of it. So I, I read the book and my jaw just hit the floor. I remember in the preface and I, I just felt like Richard was speaking directly to me <clears throat> as, as far as religion and just the way that he just dismantled, you know, the irrationality and, and just all the, all the foundations of religion, you know, he, he just the way he wrote about it just really impressed me. So I wanted to look into these uh, new atheist authors more. So I picked up some Sam Harris and Christopher Hitchens and I started realizing this pattern of, of uh, applying uh, science and, and, or applying logic and evidence uh, to your beliefs, you know, to, as, or using those as a guide for your beliefs, basically. And, um, you know, at the time I was acting on emotions. So um, I, I, I was really into this. I felt like I, I finally had found a, a way to truth, but it wasn't until I picked up uh, Peter Bogosian's book, um, A Handbook for Creating, uh, or Handbook for Creating Atheists, a manual yeah, for creating atheists, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, it's been a minute since I read it. But uh, yeah, it wasn't until I picked that book up, it really gave me like just the fundamental tools that I needed to reflect on my beliefs and to to, to find a pathway to truth on my own, uh, which I had never done before. I was always looking for truth from somebody else. I was always looking for somebody else to, to give me the truth. And um, Peter was really the first one to show me I could do it myself, and he gave me the tools to actually do that. So it was then when I really, I really had converted fully. I was no longer a Christian, uh, was no longer a skinhead, and I was totally behind this the secular movement and wanted to, you know, dedicate my life to it and help change other people's lives. So yeah, I started think I started thinking about what I could do. I, I reached out to local skeptic groups. We had a local group, Chico Skeptics, and they needed a, somebody to to run that their program at the time. So I became the Chico uh, Chico Skeptics president. I started a, a, a free thinkers group here, and but these these they just weren't. I don't know. They just didn't feel like they were they fit what I needed to do or what I wanted to do because. Um, 
honestly, I felt kind of out of place around a lot of these. I, we had a lot of college professors come and um, I was really intimidated by a lot of these guys. And I just I didn't feel like I was going to be able to reach anybody like that. And that's really what I want to do is to, to reach people on, on more on my level. So um, I referred back to Peter's book. I think I was just rereading it. And I remember reading his chapter about doing his dissertation in prison with inmates and uh, actually watching a lot of your videos, uh, your street epistemology videos. I was thinking, man, I want to do that, but I want to do it in prison. So I, I got the idea for Save by Reason and, you know, started going to my local jails and prisons. And I found out it was really hard. And Peter warned me, man, it's going to be really hard to get in because you have to have a degree. You have to be an educator. And so I started to get bummed at the time, but right at the time, um, the Federal Bureau of Prisons passed a law that secular humanism was recognized as a religion in, in prison. Uh -huh. So I just went and got regist registered as a secular humanist minister. And then I didn't need the, the, you know, the PhD and all that stuff. So I, you know, I just showed, said I was a secular humanist minister and they let me right in the front door. So oh that's how I, I started the classes. <clears throat> yeah, I'm trying to think when when I first came across you, I, I want to say it was two years ago and somewhere on Twitter, whether Peter retweeted something that you did or there was an article about what you were doing. Somehow along the line, I, I was aware that you were doing some sort of version of, of SE, I guess, with prison inmates. And then I lost yeah. track of you. And then um, somebody had forwarded me. Actually, I think somebody emailed Pete who then forwarded it to me, this interview that somebody did with you, and it kind of rejuvenated my interest in your story. So yeah, so that's really interesting. Were you going, you were then going into prisons, and then like, yeah. what, what, did, what, what did you say that you were gonna do, and what did you actually end up doing? Oh, well, so what they would let me, the furthest they would let me do is go into the pods that the inmates live, lived in. Um, they didn't live in cells. They live in like a dorm area. So I got to go into a dorm and then say, Hey, I'm my, my name's so-and-so I'm a secular humanist minister with say by reason. Does anybody want to talk about critical thinking with me? And so nine times out of 10, more than half the pod comes up to talk to me because most of the time they have preachers coming in talking about the same, same thing. And here's something really new that, you know, that they never heard before. So a lot of them just out of curiosity will come and talk to me and we end up having really interesting, really interesting conversations. You said like more than half the pod, like how many people is that? Um, I'd say probably about 50 guys just all circled around me. Guys. Oh my just gosh. Circled around me in, a, in a full blown conversation. It is, it is. But once the conversation gets going, it's it uh, they and I can see that they're really engaged in, in having a good time and I, I lose myself and I almost don't want to leave sometimes you know it's like oh gosh you know the guards like time to go and I'm like oh, we're having so much fun right now did but, you just sort of yeah. freewheel it or did you have a plan like okay today I'm going to talk about morality or something or like how did that how did these yeah, conversations well, usually go so I I talked to Peter and he sent me his actual dissertation uh, it's like 20 something pages long and he has all the the recorded like he recorded all the conversations that he had with with the inmates in his class so I kind of use that as my guideline so he would he talked about justice was like the first thing he talked about and that that was really my main concern is finding uh, certain things to talk about because I, I in prison I don't want to there's certain things I don't want to talk about I don't want to talk about um, 
let's talk about if the white race is the superior race, you know what I mean? And I got, you know, half, half the guys I'm talking to are minorities. So there's certain places that I don't want to go. So I want to have like a list of topics. So yeah. So justice was, was always high up there on the list or, or honor, just things that people, that anybody can relate to from any culture or any race Mm. or religious background. So, were those were those topics off limit though? If somebody really wanted to talk about their God belief, would you shy away um, from it, or how do how I would sh- No, I wouldn't shy away from God beliefs. Um, it was I was just trying to to stay away from more like racial stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember ch- uh, I remember one time child molest like whether child molestation was was okay or not came up, and I I didn't feel like that was a good topic to discuss because <laughs> they it got pretty violent, you know. <laughs> Was Especially it always- if I'm if, if I try say something that that may come off as me defending them, I, you know I don't want to get stabbed. So <laughs> when did you stop beating your wife? Almost one of those types of questions. <laughs> right. <laughs> Was it always sort of a one on fifty type of situation, or did you ha- ever have a chance to sit down and do like one on one or two on one type of stuff? I've I've in two cases had the chance to sit down, sit down like one-on-one between the glass with inmates. They can, in Sacramento County and Butte County Jail, they can request that to see uh, a minister like face-to-face. And I have, uh, like I've sent out packets of, like I have pamphlets, say by reason pamphlets, where it like, teaches you Socratic pedagogy, like, you know, the basics of it, and it has my contact information. So I've been contacted by two inmates um, out of state, I have inmate or I have uh, ministers that are, you know, that work for Save by Reason. Um, they volunteer for Save by Reason. Uh, they're out of state, and they actually, you know, talk to inmates one on one. So um, they they probably have more experience doing that than I do. But I, I'm I'm more familiar with the group settings. And uh, to be honest, within the last six months, I really haven't gone into any facilities because I've been, you know, working on on the book, which is, uh, really, uh, time consuming. Uh, my understanding of the most, uh, prison populations statistically, uh, are mostly religious individuals. Um, did you ever encounter when you were talking to these people Did they're like, Oh, who's this like atheist guy coming in? Because I assume most of the people you were talking to had some sort of God belief or religious belief. Well, was there any like uh, hostility there? Or? Uh, there was hostility mostly with the other ministers because they they knew what secular humanism is. Um, a lot of the inmates, I, I would have some like, what's a secular humanist? But I, I would never say it's just basically an atheist. I would just explain, you know, it's somebody that, you know, um, doesn't be, doesn't have the belief in a higher power and and you know wants the best for humanity. And they, you know, they wouldn't have a disagreement with that. But I, I did have confrontations with with other ministers. They, one of them tried getting me kicked out of the Butte County Jail um, because of, you know because of my past. I have a felon uh, felony on my record. But you know I've I've already gone through that with the with the jail. And this individual tried tried getting me thrown out because of it. So yeah, I've run into trouble trouble that way. But not not so much with the inmates. Wow. So you said you studied. Uh, Peter's dissertation. Did you get his original yeah. audio recordings, or did he have recordings for you to listen to? No, he. he uh, when I say recorded, he it, it was just the conversations were written down. So he it, it would say, 
like in Peter's words, uh, what is justice? And then inmate A answer was this, inmate B's answer was this. So there was never any audio recordings. I think it I've was, seen the thing that you're talking down. about. Um, yeah. I remember stumbling across it a while ago, maybe 2009 or something. Like it was a while ago, several yeah, years before he, he wrote his book. Yeah, he wrote it long before. Well, long I should say a couple book. years, not several, but yeah. Right. Are you are you able to record your own um, talks with these people, or is that not allowed? I, I, just, I don't. Yeah, know. I I can't I can't bring a phone or recorder in. Um, so like I just come back to my car, or when I get back home, I'll just try to from memory write down my experiences. But uh, I'm not allowed to bring any type of recording device in. Oh man, unfortunately, I would, I would, love, to, yeah. I would love to listen to something oh, and just read a transcript, like a, if you had just you know one of those court transcribe right. type of person yeah be i wonder if there's a way to get uh, around that and do audio only or or video like if you if you got special permission i bet you i could um i need to look into it more honestly haven't but uh that, that would definitely be something to do because yeah like you said i could do you did you find yourself like using some of the, the stuff that we do in street epistemology during your conversations or I guess it must've been different if most of the stuff that you were doing was like one to 50. Yeah. Um, well, I just, I saw from you that you just, you're, you're very polite for one and you're very respectful. So that's, and that's what Peter's really stressed in his book. So, um, I, I always approach it that way. I'm always very respectful. Um, and then, you know, just asking questions instead of trying to, trying to lead them in a certain direction, just, just ask them questions. So, um, but it, it is kind of, it's not the same as, as what you do, obviously, because you know, you're usually one on one or one on two. Mm -hmm. So it's a little different when, when you got a whole bunch of people, more, a whole bunch more people involved, but, um, it's still basically the same premise. You just, you know, just keep asking questions. And yeah. I was, I'm wondering if you, if you found anyone in the crowd that, understood what you were doing and kind of took a liking to it and ended up kind of asking questions of the other people while you were there or not. Did, did you notice anything like that? Um, well, I, I had a, some inmates write me, um, one inmate wrote me was really on fire about it and was talking about how he was one to keep it going like every single day doing a, and you know, a Socratic method class every day. But, uh, I, I stopped receiving letters from him after a couple of weeks. So I don't know if he, he paroled or what, uh, what happened, but, uh, but yeah, that was really the only time that happened, but uh, yeah, that's, that's what I'm hoping is these guys will like start their own, you know, classes and stuff and it'll kind of spread like wildfire. What so, advice would you, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Dan. Oh, I was going to ask a little more on the details of how these kinds of group conversations work. Cause like you said, we're more used to like kind of these one-on-one -on -one kinds of right. things. How does this work? Or do you like, give out a question and then let each person answer or, or kind of give well, me a rundown of what that's like. Yeah. So I'll say, so what is justice? Does anybody have, anybody want to tell me what they think justice is, their opinion. And then if somebody wants to volunteer, they'll, they'll say something and then somebody else will say something. Okay. Well, well, that was a good example. Uh, um, and I'll, then I'll ask them, so can, can you, you know, can you, Sorry, my mind drawing a blank, but uh, you know, can you expound on that more or whatever? So, um, do you usually? I, have I don't know. I mean, are there guards in the room listening to you when you're doing this? A, a guard lets me in 
and then he leaves and there's like a guard tower like what that that's watching and there's usually cameras there oh my God. Um, but he's they're not like standing right next to me the whole time and that's that's one thing i'm i'm kind of scared about because uh i don't want to see anybody that i recognize from when i was in prison that's gonna go oh hey that's riot child you know yeah he's what's he a dropout now or whatever so that could be you know, that, that's always kind of in the back of my mind yeah, no, maybe knowing we don't have to get into it now, but I'm thinking maybe knowing a little bit more about the mechanics of how this all works could be useful for either someone who wants to try this or um, mm-hmm. there's a group here in San Antonio. They're they're secular humanists, and they give they have like a I don't know what they call it. It's like a it's like a, a an hour and a half service for secular humanists or soldiers that don't want to go the, to the other services that are going on. And they are increasingly getting more and more people that come to those things, 300, 500, 800. I think they had almost 1400 people this two Sundays ago, something like that, just something ridiculous. So I don't know if that's unwieldy or not, but it might be, might be useful for people to have a little bit of structured guidance on how to roll something like that out in that kind of setting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, what we're working towards is getting, doing it the way that we we were expecting to have to do it at the beginning is going through social services and and actually having a class and having an educator um, teach the class so that's 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 our end goal because the way that it is right now it it's convenient to get us into the prison as a chaplain but um just just you know the way that i have it where i'm just standing in the pot and talking to to 50 guys it's just not really ideal but it's better than nothing. Um, but yeah, our, our end goal is to have something a little more um, structured and to have, you know, like a, yeah, a curriculum or something. A curriculum. That's mm-hmm. the word I was looking for, a curriculum to go off of. So, yeah, that's the goal. <laughs> yes, you're head of this organization, Saved by Reason. Are you the only person doing this type of thing or are there others? Oh, no. Uh, we have a, I have a full board. I have a vice president, Sheree. She goes and talks to the women on the women's side of the jails that where I can't go on into. Um, and then, like I said, I have some members out of state. I have a member in Texas and two in North Dakota, uh, a member in Florida. They volunteer and then they go into jails uh, and, and basically do the same thing that I do. And I just I said I just tell them how to get their uh, how to go online, what website to go to to get become a chaplain and then I send them a little bit of our, some of our um, brochures and then Peter Bogosian's uh, dissertation and let them go and wing it like I do. And uh, yes. And then uh, on, we have an advisory board, Peter Bogosian's on the advisory board. Um, Kyle Kalinsky from secular talk is on the advisory board. Oh, then, wow. oh that, that uh, might be where I heard of you. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking about it. Yeah. yeah Kyle's really the one that thing on you, a piece on you. Yeah, he, he is. We talked on Twitter one time, mm-hmm. just totally randomly, and he was like, "Dude, you should come on my radio show. I don't really have guests on, but you know, I think your story's in. You should come on." And yeah, he, that's really what that's really what got the ball rolling for me. I was kind of early on the the uh, secular talk train. He's great. Yeah, I listen to him here. almost every day. He's fucking yeah, awesome. Me too. Yeah, I love Kyle. He's he's a great guy. Good friend. I saw too. you on uh, David Pakman as well. I saw your interview there. Yeah. Yeah, Dave was a good guy too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very good. And they also you had like a segment on a Newsy or some YouTube channel or news channel. That was good. Yeah. 
Yeah, that was interesting. I went to Washington, D.C. and was hoping to talk to some Unite the Right 2 guys, but they had, there was like 10,000 counter protesters to 24 of these guys and they would have got crushed. So the cops had them separated. Nobody was going to talk to the Unite the Right 2 guys except for media. And I was lucky enough to be with the media crew, but there was so much media there. They were only letting in like chunk, like groups of media in and then, you know, rotate out. So by the time we got in, it was, it started to drizzle. And as soon as it started drizzling, they just, they said, oh, you know, they cut the cord and they left, Unite the Right 2. So I only got about five minutes to talk with about three guys. So, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't like the, the interaction I was hoping for, but, um, you know, I did a little bit of SE with, with these guys and, um, yeah, you know, my, I just was asking them what, what rights do, do whites not have? Because that's, that was their whole thing is they kept saying, you know, whites need civil rights. So and instead of trying to argue with them, I was asking him to just explain that a little deeper, what rights don't whites have? And he couldn't really give me an answer, you know, so that, that was interesting, but, uh, I wish I would have got to, to talk a little longer and, and with some of the leaders was, was my uh, goal, but. Yeah, sometimes in those situations you you have little control over it. I I think right. we watched that too before we brought you on, so we'll put a link to that in the video description. Oh, cool! Right on. Well, so what are your future plans for the organization? Do you have any uh, long term goals? Yeah, well, like I said, just I want to transition from doing the chaplain thing to to you know a legitimate so going through social services, having an educated or having an or an educator teach our classes. And then also I'd like to get these classes implemented like on a federal level to where they're in every prison in America, because I really feel like this type of uh, strategy, this type of tool set is, is gonna help reduce our recidivism. Uh, I think this is a, an opportunity for me to really re record and, and take have evidence that this is reducing the recidivism in inmates. Mm -hmm. um, and, with with that evidence, I, I hope to make these uh, like hopefully mandatory classes for any inmate that goes into prison. Yeah, you might be in a really good position to to quantify it better than we might be able to. We, we were actually talking about that on the last episode. How do we measure the success of this? And you literally have a captive audience, if you'll forgive the pun. And yeah, maybe you could actually do some long term tracking, long term studies of of the effectiveness of your approach longer period of time exactly um more cool. so and more so in prison where, where inmates have like a sentence uh, in jail it's it's a little dip, more difficult because people are usually in and out of jail more more than they are in prison ah. yeah. oh good distinction okay so yeah. if there was somebody who wanted to help you out whether they wanted to make a donation or maybe help you with the curriculum or even they uh, wanted to mimic it elsewhere or something else what what advice absolutely. would you have for them uh, well, I mean, they can they can contact me, uh, SaveByReason at Yahoo.com, or they can visit my website, SaveByReason.org. Um, and yeah, I would just, if, if, if you're trying to start it on your own and um, just do what I did and, and reference that book by Peter Bogosian and try to find his dissertation and, uh, you know, use that as your guidepost pretty much. And, and then your channel as well. No. Oh, thanks. I'm kind of wondering <laughs> what the reaction would be if you were allowed to show a video or two to the to in your jail. Class. Yeah, 
Are you allowed to do that? Um, I'm not as far as I know, I'm not. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, maybe I'm sure once once we you know have like a class, an actual class setting, mm -hmm. um, we I'm sure we can do that for sure. Awesome. We're still still just kind of like in the early stages right now, you know, just trying to figure out how things work. <laughs> I'll go back <laughs> to that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. But yeah, so um other than that, you know, I just I'm working on my working on my book and hoping to I've always been passionate about writing. I've always wanted to be a writer, so I'm hoping I can make a career out of just writing. You know, I, I would see, I'd be so happy if I could just pay the bills by writing. So, um, that, you know, that's really a big goal of mine uh, is, is to do that. And raising my daughter, you know, being the, the parent that I always wanted to have, you know, the parent that was loving and that uh, teaches my child how to think rationally and for herself. And, uh, you know, it's pretty much what my life is all about right now exciting part of my life I'm enjoying it and sometimes when I look back it's it's uh, it's weird I it's weird to think that that was me I, you know I sometimes think that I don't I just don't I wonder how I made it through that you know and it just I, I look at that person as some a completely different person so it's totally not who I am now and kind of strange to think that that was me you know mm. Well, we're really glad that you made the journey and you're making, doing your best to make amends and, and turn things around and then share your story with us too. I think that's really great. And it's really nice to have you here. It's super yeah. inspiring. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. I love sharing my story. Uh, it's not something I thought I was going to do. I am, I, you know, not really proud of, of the person I was, but I've come to realize that sharing my story has helped a lot of people. So you know, as, as much as I get the opportunity to do it, I, I'm more than happy to. So I appreciate the, the opportunity. For sure. And you're more than welcome to stick around too while we finish the last uh, last part of the show here. Sweet. And feel free to jump in too. Okay. <laughs> yeah, if anybody in chat wants to uh, uh, type in a question, feel free and I'll, uh, I'll ask it for sure. But I guess in the meantime, um, yeah, a few weeks ago, moving on, I... Uh, I tried out this cool uh, little experiment that I found out from this uh, another YouTuber, a science-based YouTuber called Veritasium. He had a video where he uh, interviewed these people uh, out, out in public. He gave them the sequence of numbers, 248, and asked them to figure out what those numbers, like what rule those numbers followed. He had a rule that the numbers followed. They uh, let them give another sequence of three numbers, and he would say, yes, that follows the rule, or no, that does not follow the rule. And after they did that for a while, they would try to guess what the rule was. And uh, yeah, I tried that out my, for myself. Uh, it's, I think it's my second to last video. And it's a really great little thought experiment. Uh, it's ultimately about the, uh, the value of falsification. The typical pattern is people think of a rule in their head and then give numbers to try to confirm that rule. And that usually goes on for a little while. And then it's always yes questions uh, because the rule is actually any number in, in increasing order. So very like, pretty much any numbers you give out in, in increasing order uh, will follow the rule. You'll get a yes answer. 
but then people start to try to disconfirm their rule and uh, then they eventually figure it out and kind of have a conversation about the value of falsification. It's really, it's a really great uh, little thought experiment game. I recommend yeah, it. I think you have one video on your channel about it. Are you planning on doing that again or was that sort of a one-off thing? Um, I think two weeks ago when I went out, like anytime I get more than two people or like any, any type of group that comes up to the table, I'll usually just go straight to that because it, uh, that seems to be a fun game. A lot of people can do together because they usually, you know, talk amongst themselves about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's a good icebreaker. Um, it introduces some some good concepts, and I'm thinking too, like throwing out a video like that every once in a while might get way more views than a typical SE conversation that might be a little slow and drawn out. Uh, you know, something like that, if it were to catch on and get thousands or hundreds of thousands of views could be really, really good overall for your channel and probably SE. So we should probably, you know, the content creators that are out there should probably start thinking about ways to do something like that. Every once in a while, mix it up, do something different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, I don't see any other questions in the chat. Um, I guess uh, any some other audience question or just a question is, what do you think about using a, a Jenga metaphor for SE? We heard about that on Twitter, I think. Who who had that on Twitter? Um, Adam does SE, I think it was one person, and maybe Dan. I think that they were chatting about that. Not me, other Dan. No, not you, another yeah. Dan. Uh, so the Jenga thing is, if you ever see the Jenga game, it's sort of like these, these interlocking, or you stack these little blocks, and you build these different towers. Oh, yeah. And somebody was... It's funny, too, because... Um, they were talking I've, I've heard ty mention this also tyrone from let's chat also referred to a jenga metaphor as you have the the stack of beliefs and then you you're constantly rearranging the stack maybe lowering them if 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 you decide that you don't believe something anymore you might pull it out of the mix or um something that you might be motivated to do is based on something else in that stack so i think it's a good metaphor it, it, and it uh I had to laugh when I saw the chatter about it because, uh, did I mention this earlier? Yeah, me and this artist, Rebecca, uh, Rebecca Fox, have been working on, she, she came up with a 10-page comic book that shows these people walking around with these stacks of Jenga blocks. It's, it's sort of like their face. And then from like here on up is this big tower of Jenga blocks. And she, she wrote this wonderful 10-page comic and we were sort of brainstorming, how can we call attention to this really cool thing that you've done? And I had the idea of taking her book and turning it into a video. So we'll show all 10 pages. It'll be narrated. We'll have some sound effects in it. And then uh, if people want to go ahead and buy the buy the little 10-page booklet, they can do that. Or she has other books on her on her site as well that are along the same lines as critical thinking and questioning. And she's a huge proponent of street epistemology. So we, we might start seeing Jenga blocks a lot more uh, when people talk about SE. Heck yeah. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, Love Dan's it. in the chat, and he mentioned it's more like a fractal Jenga. Like even if you go into the single block, that block can have like a whole Jenga tower of sub-reasons mm -hmm. for that. So yeah. yeah, I love it. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's cool. If we don't have any other questions, Josh, I'd love to ask you something else. Yeah, um, totally. You're into it. So... Um, I don't know how much you know about me, but I, well, my deconversion experience involved SE in a way, and it was 
through thinking about specific questions that really gave me like certain pause. And you mentioned that like um, reading Richard Dawkins and some other stuff kind mm -hmm. of gave you those questions. Were there any specific questions that were posed to you that made you kind of change your mind about things? Uh, like I know for me, for example, it's like the outsider test of faith, you know, mm -hmm. understanding if other people had, you know, faith in various contexts, if it's a reliable method of knowing things, uh, you kind of had a different set of beliefs in that you had sort of this white nationalism background. Mm -hmm. Was there any specific questions that kind of questioned that thought process that really stuck out in your mind? Yeah, um, definitely. What I believed in white nationalism because I felt that I had arrived there logically. I felt that there was evidence for that position. Mm -hmm. So when people began to question that evidence, uh, I started to look into the evidence myself. Um, so one reason for me believing in white nationalism and, and this whole conspiracy that there's a Zionist, um, a Zionist occupational government running, running the entire world, pulling this, is because uh, there's a document called the Protocols of Zion. Um, from the, I think it was in the 1800s, and it was supposedly a document uh, where all the leaders of this Zionist movement were at this meeting, and uh, they had all written down their master plan for taking over the world and um, enslaving the, the Aryan race. And so I, I believe that this document was was valid document. But when, once I looked, because I've been told that in propaganda, so once I looked into it myself. Uh, it turns out that the document's a complete fraud. And so it's just small examples like that uh, where I felt that I had a logical position because of, of some kind of evidence based backing up my position. And then once I would reflect on it, check the evidence myself, it would turn out to be either false completely or just, you know, um, being evidence being manipulated or just some, something like that, you know. Just wouldn't, it would never turn out to be genuine. So yeah, so just you know, several examples like that uh, where I thought that I had evidence to believe in white nationalism. Um, I you know soon began to realize I didn't have any evidence at all. So and I still don't see any arguments or evidence to to believe in it today. So gotcha. I don't know if that answers your question or not. Yeah, no, that's that's really interesting that yeah. you had this what you would consider an evidence-based belief. And it right. was just the kind of breaking down of that evidence, seeing if it was reliable to check on that, um, yeah. which is really interesting to me. Right. Uh, that was very different from my experience. And I, I mean, other people have different experiences of how they come to their beliefs. Um, but do you think that your case is typical um, amongst, I mean, specifically white nationalists Circles, do you think most people have what they would call, you know, similar kinds of evidences, or do you think it's more just base prejudices? What do you think is the is the typical? Yeah, you know, it's really hard to say. I think there's a spectrum uh, that, and, you know, it just depends on where an individual falls on that spectrum. But for me, it really wasn't, I, I never really considered myself a racist person. I didn't hate anybody based on their race. I really felt like, that you know that that my culture was under attack and you know that was this Zionist conspiracy so you know I felt that I was that I believed in the truth and that I was being logical about my beliefs but I know that there are people that don't have 
anything to do with uh, with logic when it comes to those beliefs, and it's just all about their hate or their their emotions or you know just wanting to belong to something, or things like that. So yeah, it's it's a spectrum. I really can't say. In my experience, it personally has been um, it's been rare to see people like me, um, but that's just my experience with people in prison. You know, obviously a lot of people in prison act on their emotions are very, emo you know, uh, so, it, you know, the, they don't really stop to think logically. So uh, mm -hmm. I haven't run into a lot of people like that. But for example, like Unite the Right to the, the guys that I was speaking to seem like guys that that arrive there logically. So mm. that my gut feeling tells me that most people even in those circles, feel like that they come to their beliefs through a logic of some sort, right. whether that logic is valid or not. And I, I think that's very interesting to come into those conversations with that in mind so that you know how to approach people, not to just dismiss them, but to take that logic kind of seriously and to mm -hmm. kind of play with it and kind of examine what they're saying, if that makes sense. But I think that's a, a problem people seem to make, I mean, you see this on Twitter all the time, you know, you, I don't know, you call people what a name or something and you, whatever, it doesn't mean anything to them. You know, you're just, they're just, you're buying into the narrative. You know what I mean? Um, you're only supporting them if anything, because suddenly these other yeah. people are they're Oh, they don't understand. They don't see my logic. You know what I mean? They're right. not engaging with me on what I think right. is true. So, yeah. One thing I try to stress uh, personally is the, the way we interact with them it, mm -hmm. screaming at them calling them names is just it really isn't helping I know what they say is very profane and disturbing uh, but you're feeling their narrative when you do that mm -hmm. um, so you know it's just feeling the narrative that they're the victim so I really stress that's that's why I went to unite the right to to talk to them one-on-one -on -one with in a respectful discussion because that's that's what I really feel like we need. That's the only way we're gonna change anybody's mind. So, yeah, I really I really try to stress that. Yeah, and punching them as well. That was kind of a meme for a while. Like that's yeah. probably not the best. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, I remember that. Yeah, Dan Errol. Um, you know, he's he's a, a writer and a blogger, and he was, uh, you know, spreading that whole punch a Nazi thing, and I. Um, went on a podcast to pretty much you know debate his points and stuff because i was very disturbed by that you know it's definitely not the way to go about it we're just gonna help fuel their narrative and help help them recruit more people when you do that oh totally. we'll, have get, we'll have to get the link to that and put that in the show notes too that sounds interesting yeah that was a lot lalo dagosh had uh dan arrow on ah. his show and then i did a follow-up show to, to rebut his his points okay yeah love lalo yeah lalo's great Awesome. Yeah. All right. Cool. Well, uh, any other questions in the chat? I don't really see anything. Any other announcements, guys? There was another question about, is it worth joining the Discord server? I would highly recommend it. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I think the Discord, there's there's been an, a Discord server for Street Epistemology for a number of months. It just kind of languished, but it's it's gaining interest. It's gaining momentum, and people are joining it. In fact, it seems... It's really cool. I don't know if you're aware of it, but it's like a it's like a forum, and you can download an app for your mobile device, or you can use a browser. But I use my phone and my iPad, and uh, it's not only a text based browser, but you can voice chat also. 
So we have these different channels where people can go to study street epistemology or talk about philosophy or some other subject. And it's a really great way to interact with a lot of your favorite content creators. Most of the people who are generating SE content are on there. So you can ask them a question or we've, we've even been experimenting with putting an earbud in our ear and going out. I know Reed did this once and then I've done it a couple of times. Uh, the video that I'm going to release at four o'clock, I show like I kind of I call attention that I, I have an earbud in and I'm interacting with people who are listening and they're listening to me live conduct uh, an interview and even give me questions when I got stuck. So it's a really cool way of learning SE and interacting with people who are in the community. So I highly recommend checking it out. We'll put a link to that in the uh, in the show notes as well. You can join that. Please check it awesome. out. I, th I think the future of SE re resides in that Discord server. I think that's where we need to go. Okay. Uh, I, I just realized something. I was wondering, maybe you guys can give me your thoughts on this. Um, so, uh, you know, obviously what sets my story apart from other former skinheads is, is the whole atheism angle, you know, uh, um, you know, books like the God delusion inspired me to leave the movement. And normally you don't hear that you hear, you know, I, I know, specific uh, former skinheads that left because of Christianity, you know, so just to hear to hear atheism is, is different. Um, and Sam Harris was a very big influence uh, on me. And, uh, you know, I, I really res highly respect Sam Harris and uh, his work was very impactful and and me making uh, my deconversion. And lately there's there's been this uh, smearing of Sam and uh, his his his. I guess uh, either he's he's called a pseudo tool um, and I guess just skepticism in general is just being smeared and uh, it, it's being done so by other former skinheads, uh, you know, that that I know and it's it's kind of going against the work that I'm trying to do and it's frustrating for me <laughs> and uh, mm -hmm. it's coming from the left and I consider myself on the left. So I don't know. I just feel really like I'm stuck in between a rock and a hard place right now because, you know, people like Sam really, really helped me and, and gave me a tool set that I think is valuable. And then, you know, there's, there's these people saying the, the exact opposite. I'm wondering if, if you guys have noticed that and um, yes, yeah. <laughs> if you have uh, any advice for, for what I should do. I want to talk about this uh, first because, okay. When I was at, um, I'll just say when I was at an event recently, someone had brought up, a friend of mine had brought up Sam Harris and was criticized for it uh, because she said that she liked Sam Harris. Just for saying that she liked him, didn't even mention mm -hmm. specifically why or anything. And it was this, it was this whole debacle. And um, I was just, I was shocked <laughs> that really that uh, people would be so up in arms about this because I too was very influenced by Sam Harris, especially in his work of neurology and understanding how he comes to these beliefs. And what I think it is, is I don't know, because I'm also discouraged when I hear that because as a skeptic, I'm supposed to be able to look at all ideas equally and, and with the same amount of scrutiny and not, and not feel like that I need to censor myself or censor anybody else about their beliefs that we take these things on. And that's like that's kind of like why I was asking you about um, when you're talking to these kind of white nationalists and stuff. I'm sure there's lots of people who will tell you. I'm sure you've heard this who say, "Why are you even giving them the time of day? 
why aren't you in the crowds of these people protesting them? You know, and it's because I think you and I would say, and I correct me if I'm wrong, but just speaking from experience, we know that that doesn't change people's minds very well, like at all. And again, we're playing into those narratives. I'm always thinking in like narrative constructs and stuff because I, I just find it so fascinating. But yeah, I, I think it's sad and I don't know what to do about it, but I think that it's, uh, that people should be able to talk about all ideas equally, even if they are wrong, because we should be able to give them the scrutiny that they, you know, if we can, we should be able to talk about it, right? Absolutely. This is my, this is my two cents, but. Right. <clears throat> okay, yeah. I, I guess I'll throw my two cents. Um, yeah. Two things that come to mind. First, I, I notice a lot where Sam complains that people are misunderstanding him, mm-hmm. whether it's intentional or not. Right. So I do think that there are probably some things that Sam can do to improve comprehension uh, to try to uh, reduce some confusion on things. Mm-hmm. Um, I agree. I think it comes. I think he's. I, I'm he's always deliberately like, provocative. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. So that that probably be my my. That's like the the what the, the one half of it. The other half of it is I think people who might be critical of him. It seems to me that they hear that he said something, and then they take it. They just assume that it's. It's what he said. They don't usually look into it. They didn't maybe listen to the entire podcast that he did with Douglas Murray or Scott mm-hmm. Adams or somebody else and then form their own opinion of it. They're hearing right. somebody say that he said something and then they take it as gospel and then they they religiously adhere to it. Right. So so I think yeah. my advice would go to, to both sides on this. I think that there are things that Sam can do to improve, improve his he's – a, he's a great orator. But time and time again, people tend to misunderstand what he's saying, and maybe, maybe if he if he was a little bit more careful with his words and simplify them, make them very basic, it mm-hmm. might improve comprehension. And then the other side, I think, is actually research what it is you think that he said and see if that's what he said. Give him a fair shake. See if you can ask, if you hear a criticism, ask the person to explain exactly what they think Sam said and where where in his podcast or his writings did he say that? And I think you'll probably find some disparities there. Okay. Yeah. I guess that my, that, that, that advice is maybe less to you and maybe more to (laughs) to other people. (laughs) But as far as like advice to you, like I, I I get that too. Like I, I get uh, pushback as far as what we're doing or I see these things as distractions Mm -hmm. and it's great to hear criticisms and to weigh it. But if it's being presented in a very juvenile way and it's more, it seems like more to kind of waste your time than to actually help you. um, Yeah. I move on. I move on because I I feel like I have a a good view of the strategic landscape here and nothing's going to take my eye off, off the prize. So yeah. um, don't don't get too roped into those conversations or those distractions. Yeah. I think would be would be my advice to you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I just I find lately I've been def- find myself defending Sam Harris a lot lately, and yeah, it's very distracting. So uh, you know. Yeah, I would I say you ignore it a little more. I would say this is another example of people being human. Like just because yeah. we have fellow atheists and skeptics. We're still running this uh, evolutionary hardware 
that we that religion is also based on so just because mm -hmm. we're an atheist doesn't mean we're not running on these same types of uh psychological and conf like uh, these confirmation biases these these heuristics and uh, if we have someone who we think is not part of our in-group uh and another person in our in-group maybe likes this out-group member it might lower the status of our of our in-group so it's really about being comfortable with uh people of uh any out-group like mm -hmm. just have a have a bigger circle like we have different tribes we need a bigger circle to yes. rally around like he's a fellow human yeah uh, he's not perfect i'm sure he has some great ideas and maybe some not so great ideas feel free to talk about whatever like it's not e good people versus evil people who are all right. human absolutely yeah if you're not friends with people who disagree with you you need more friends <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. you know i really yeah. think that yeah um the world's a big place there's a lot of ideas out there that we can't all be experts on you know so yeah that was a good topic i'm glad you guys brought that up uh i have to get going pretty yeah. soon uh all right can we do the wrap-up guys can we do the announcements i guess we're kind of on the announcements section here sure thing damn want to go uh yes like i said uh, tune into my stream tomorrow night at six o'clock central um i'm going to be having pine creek on my buddy doug no um, way yeah oh. so we're going to be uh, taking in calls and stuff on the truth wanted channel <laughs> Talk about yeah, surrounding yourself yeah. by people that you disagree with. I know. I'm just kidding. Doug, I, love you. I was trying to get um, one of my a pastor friend of ours on this week, um, but he couldn't do it uh, because I do want to have other people who don't share the same um, beliefs that awesome. I do on our show. That's awesome. Um, I this is going to be a really experimental program. And I'm I'm really excited for it. Um, so it's going to be really awesome. And also the um, the back cruise is coming up. And I think you're going to be going to that, right, Anthony? Um, I have two tickets. I am planning to go. Yes, yeah. I think I'll probably head up there with Hector Garcia, the author of Alpha God. Yeah, and I'm probably going to be there too. So if you're going to that, check us out there. Oh, nice. Uh, that's it on my end. Okay. Well, I guess I'll go next. Uh, well, I mentioned the Rebecca on paper thing. That's really cool. Uh, Matt Dillahunty just released the video of my talk with him at NanoCon. That's on his channel. I have a near identical copy sitting in YouTube waiting for me to release it in a couple of days. So if you subscribe to my channel, you'll see that. That turned out pretty good. Um, I'm going through and also, I'm also updating the metadata on my YouTube videos, which is really time consuming, but I'm going through and updating all the descriptions. And YouTube now allows you to add hashtags to the videos. I don't know if you've noticed it. Right, it shows right. up to three hashtags. You can have more in the video description. So I'm going through and I'm adding like a hashtag street epistemology, hashtag Magna Bosco, hashtag faith, something like that. And then I'm also adding some, uh, depending on the video, I might have hashtag street epistemology training or street epistemology presentation, street epistemology quick clip, that type of stuff. So I think that will find, that will be, it will make it easier for people to follow a string of related videos as opposed to maybe going to the next um, suggested video that YouTube has, you can just click the click the link. You can just click the hashtag and see commonly themed SE videos. 
So I'm going through and doing that. And then I mentioned the Discord server. Um, the last thing I wanted to mention uh, on September 26th, we were talking about Discord, the Atheist Community of Austin, of which Dan is now apparently nice. a part of and has a show, is uh, they also have a Discord server. And they have a lot, I think they have a thousand people who have subscribed. Do you subscribe to a Discord server? You join it? Just join it. Join, yeah. I guess they're members, right? So um, th I think they crossed the thousand member mark, and we want to cross promote SE and also the ACA. So on the 26th of September, I think it's about seven o'clock at night, I think central time, uh, we'll be doing an Ask Me Anything with me. So I'll be on their server as answering all questions about uh, street epistemology, atheism, et cetera with the hope of getting some of those folks to come join the street epistemology discord and vice versa. And that's what I got going on. That's great. And on. Awesome. Cool. Any announcements for you, Josh? No, not really. Uh, just if anybody's uh, curious about Save by reason again, save by reason.org, or if you'd like to contact me, save by reason at yahoo.com. Um, but yeah, I'm just kind of laying low writing right now. So not a lot, not a lot going on for me. <laughs> Cool. Um, I guess the only announcement for me, speaking of Discord, I'll probably go out on Saturday this week uh, to do some SE, and I'll, I'll, I think I'll uh, announce 11 a.m. on the Discord server. I'll be out doing a live SE if uh, if the technology works out. If I have a strong enough signal out there in uh, the California hills. Awesome. So excellent. Awesome. All right. So let's uh yeah wrap it up again. My name is Re Re Nice Wonder, aka Cordial Curiosity. You can find me on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Cordial Curiosity. There you go, Anthony. Anthony here. Uh, Magna Bosco is my is my Twitter. It's at Magna Bosco, and my YouTube channel is Magna Bosco two one zero. Yeah, catch me on Twitter at Objectively Dan, and my new show Truth Wanted. Subscribe to it on YouTube. Awesome. And what was your email again, yeah. uh, Josh? Uh, Twitter is at Save by Reason, and email is Save by Reason at Yahoo.com. Love it. All right. Great show, guys. Yeah. A lot of fun. Joshua, thank you so much for being here, man. It was great. I had a great time, you guys. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. And it was really great to meet you. Street Epistemology is a technique by Dr. Peter Bogosian in his book, A Manual for Creating Atheists, and his Android and iOS app, Atheos.